painful sex, peeing when you sneeze, heavy menstrual bleeding, hemorrhoids, these are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to crap women deal with after childbirth, surgery, or just living life as a woman. Yet no one talks about it. How can we live our best life as a woman, mom, partner, and athlete without having to settle for average sex or dirty pants? This is the question, and this podcast will dive into real answers. If you get offended easily, this is not the podcast for you. We get real, and sometimes real isn't pretty or proper. If you have young ones nearby, we suggest you put in headphones. We are Joss and Jenny, and welcome to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, follow us on Instagram, at the Vagina Doc and at Pelvic Boxer. DM us and we will personally answer your questions. For this episode and all future episodes, please keep in mind our disclaimer. The information on this podcast is intended as general information only and should not be substituted or used in lieu of medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hi everyone, since it's Movember, today's episode is going to be looking at men's health issues as opposed to our typical women's health issues that we talk about on the podcast. We are interviewing the one and only Doc Mills. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, you guys. My name is Jocelyn to the anyone that's watching. I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. And today I am with Dr. Jenny LaCrosse and Doc Mills. We are all public floor physical therapists, all in different areas of the United States. And today, Jenny and I are really excited to have Will both on our live video call, but also on our podcast, Real Talk with the Public Docs. So Will, thank you for coming on. Yeah, Why don't thank you, you just give us a little background on what you do, where you're located, and so on. Yeah, so I, I'm a physical therapist. I've been a physical therapist for almost two years now. Um, I have a background in CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting. And my, my plan coming out of physical therapy school was always to have my own place either as, as what looked like a gym with a clinic in it or work in a gym and have my own clinic and then vice versa. Um, and that's where, that's where I started that that's how the plan started. And then I was introduced to a pelvic floor therapist, um, who, who wanted me to start working with her and treating males, um, with pelvic floor issues. So I'd started doing that. And then kind of branched out and did my own thing and I'm still doing it. Um, and it's interesting. And I would have never thought in a million years, like in any way, shape or form that I would be a male pelvic floor therapist treating males for pelvic floor issues. But here we are. And now I'm on your podcast and I have a stash and we're celebrating November and we're talking about male health problems. Can I just real quickly say that the first time I saw Will, we were in our, um, we were in Florida, Clearwater, Florida, and this guy is like bumping into me at this welcome dinner or whatever. 
And I'm like, oh, who is this? <laughs> and it was Doc Mills. And I'm like, geez, never would have thought him and I would be teamed up right now. Yeah. Buds talking. Did you know that I did pelvic floor therapy at that time? No, I didn't have, he had the, Jenny, he had this big beard. He looked completely different than he looks now. And, um. Still the same face, just face <laughs> with beard. Face <laughs> hasn't changed. <laughs> That's so, a segue, yeah. I know that you guys are doing some kind of kettlebell challenge because I'm following it on Instagram. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the background on that is? Yeah, so... Well, so I think, I think this was an omen almost it, it, and it makes, <laughs> it, it makes perfect sense whenever you, whenever you think about it. So whenever I was still in school, I was in my last semester of school and, um, it was, it was November and I wanted to do Movember because I hadn't done it in like two years since two or three years before school. And, uh, I talked it up with the dudes in my class and everybody was, was down to either do, no, everyone was down to do stashes and I shaved my beard, um, to, to grow the stash out. You're supposed to grow out the stash for, um, for the 30 days to raise awareness. And, and it's, it is such a conversation starter because people will either look at you and say, Oh my gosh, you look totally different. Like Jocelyn, or they'll say, or they'll look at you because you have a stash and it's 2019 or at the time, 2018, 20, yeah, um, 2017. So I, I started the team. Everyone ended up backing out. I kept going strong with growing the stash, but the whole point of it is to raise money for the Movember Foundation who support testicular cancer, prostate cancer research and have since, I think it was that year that they really got into promoting men's health awareness and even mental health awareness for men um, because it's not vastly talked about. So I was frustrated and I almost gave up, but the last week of, uh, of November that year, I made a post with me and my ax and my stash and a flannel holding my friend's puppy and tagged... <laughs> And tagged Stuart McGill, who is the the big PhD spine researcher from Canada, who has an excellent, extremely white stash. Like he's got the the white locks and white stash, and it's what I hope I look like whenever I'm his age. Um, and he ended up messaging me and saying that he would love to donate. So he was basically like what you need to do is you need to post about it over the next week and whatever you raise I'll match. And, um, and in that last week I said, whatever I make, whatever I raise, I will do as many burpees and I'll cap it out at a thousand. So, uh -huh. um, I ended up raising 687, I think dollars. Um, so I had to do 687 burpees and then he matched it and, but I didn't do the other 687. And dollars, not burpees, right? $687, but then I had to do 687 burpees. Okay. And it was, it was one of the worst things I've ever done. 
anyway, I didn't want to do that again. And I wanted to raise more money. So this year I decided to go big or go home and, and raise 10,000 and do 10,000 kettlebell swings. There's this, there's this challenge that uh, a couple of the coaches at one of the gyms I treat out of have been doing over the past few months. And it's 10, 000, it's a breakdown of 10,000 swings over the course of four weeks. And that's what we're doing. So I'm, I, I did three sets before I had to come home. So I have two more sets to do. So I'll be at 3,500. It's so bad. Me and Jocelyn text every day about how bad it is. I, I don't like, I'm not, I'm a hundred percent a CrossFitter in the sense that I don't like doing the same movement constantly. And I like to switch it up, but this is just so, so high volume that it's just, it's tough, but it's worth it. You know, I get anxiety just like watching you guys post about how many you've done and I'm not even doing that. <laughs> so many. My forearms are massive. From so, Scott Mills, I have to ask, since you are one of the few males that are treating pelvic health and you're doing it with men, can you tell us a little bit more about what that transition was like and what a, a typical day would look like for you or if you were working with a male with pelvic pain, what would an exam or some intervention look like? Yeah, so um, I'm still, it's still a pretty small portion of my caseload. And I, I got into the situation where um, a lot of my fitness athlete stuff was getting bigger. So I only have a handful of male pelvic floor patients right now. Um, but the funny thing is, is that whenever you're talking about, talking to them about orthopedic issues and you tell them that you also do male pelvic floor stuff, they kind of open up about the fact that they have these problems going on. Typically older men with bladder issues um, as their prostate gets bigger and it starts to cause, you know, the, the pushing down effect or the, the feeling, the feelness, feelings of fullness, feelness of feelings, feelings of fullness. Um, so I only have, I only have a handful right now. Um, but getting into it, I went to a course through Herman and Wallace and, um, I realized through the, through the PT I was working with that when I went there, I had to be prepared to have an exam done on me and do an exam on someone else. Just like, every other PT course, you know, it's not, it's not really all that different. So I was like, how, how am I going to do that? I'd, I've never done that. You know, I've never, it's always been out, never in. There's never been anything close. Um, but I realized I realized it was, it was for science and it was to help people. Um, and I kind of got over myself and I knew that you know, if I could, if I, I wasn't worried about doing an exam on someone else, I knew that would be fine. Uh, from a professional standpoint, I was just more worried about myself, but I knew that, you know, getting an internal exam done on you, you know, 
one being a male, I know how to, you know, I have the same parts as my patients. So I know how to talk about those in a, you know, it's a very human, it's a very human thing to like, you know, you know, as a, as a female talking to females about what's going on with them. Like I wouldn't be able to talk about in the same way, like what happens to the vagina after you have a baby. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not even a parent yet. So I haven't even seen it, you know? So it's just different. There's a, there's a human side of it that kind of just makes it easier being male to male um, in talking about that kind of stuff. But I realized that, you know, with anything else that we do in PT, it's part of the curriculum is having it done on you and knowing what it feels like in order to relay that to your patient. Like it, you know, you wouldn't do something on your patient that you wouldn't have done on yourself. Right. Absolutely. And let me ask you this. Were you the only male in your course? No, there was like 40 people. <laughs> there was, I was, I was so scared that I was going to be the only dude there. I was, I was terrified. It was like, I was going back to my first day of kindergarten and my mom was dropping me off, except I was in Houston by myself, staying at my friend Jonathan's apartment and babysitting and babysitting his great Dane. Um, so no, I was not, but I was terrified of walking in there and being the only one. There was like 40 and there was about eight dudes and we were all a hot commodity in terms of females, female PTs wanting to practice on us, you know. How did that make you feel? Um, it kind of made me feel like I was on a porn set, if I'm being 100% honest. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, again, it was something that I never, I never dreamed of or thought I would be doing once I was there in any way, shape or form. Like there was never, there was never that. Um, so yeah. Well, can you please talk about what it's like from a guy's perspective to have a pelvic floor exam on you? To have a pelvic floor exam done? Yeah. What's it feel like if you were to, to describe it to men? You know, the, it's kind of a, at this day and age, I would say, and this might be a good bridge to talk about prostate cancer, but it's expected that at some point you're going to have a urologist do a prostate exam on you in your fifties. Right. So to me, it's like, well, you might as well get it over with. It's the, same, it's the exact same procedure, except it's more in depth and we're assessing the muscles, not just the prostate. Um, I've heard a lot of PTs, a lot of pelvic floor PTs say that kind of gloat about how they're way more gentle than a urologist. And it's kind of more like a team effort that, you know, you're walking the patient through and, you know, checking muscle tissues, checking contractions, checking, relax, uh, relaxing, um, while you're examining internally. Um, but it's, it's something if you're if you're in the professional setting and uh, you you've talked with 
the medical professional, they've established a line of trust and, um, and you realize that having this exam could give the medical professional who's trying to help you a lot of information about your problem. If you look at it in that regard, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, so yeah, it, it's not as uncomfortable as you think once, once you're, uh, I don't want to sound, <laughs> I don't want to sound crude. Um, once you're in there. I basically. wish we had enough time to talk about the experience in Clearwater. No, we're not talking about that. <laughs> okay, last question, because I know you have to go. Um, what, now that you've had your own exam and you've learned various pieces of pelvic health and how it relates to performance, do you think about anything differently knowing what your, what, how your pelvic floor exam went? Yeah, um, there, there's a lot of stuff. So I would say, um, whenever I was at the course, one of the other males who was examining me was, you know, new at it, similar to me. And he kind of flared up one of the nerves in my, in my pelvis that caused some inner groin and testicular pain that was only seemingly brought on by heavy lifting. And it was exacerbated if, if I was, um, if I was lifting heavy, like over 60 or 70% of my max. So, you know, it, it gave me, it gave me a new perspective in that regard. Um, I would say when I was the, the experience I had from a personal standpoint, whenever I was in college, um, and I was just getting into the CrossFit world. Um, I, I was learning how to do double unders. Jenny, do you know how to do double unders? I do. I'm not very good at them, but I know how to do them. Okay. I know Jocelyn. Jocelyn, are you good at double unders? I'm pretty good. Okay. Well, it took me, I've been doing CrossFit since like 2011. It took me like three or four years to get good at double unders. And this was after I had my ACL tear. So I was learning how to jump again. And I, um, I was like whipping the living hell out of myself and I was aggravated and I was holding my breath and, uh, you know, getting whenever I was, um, whenever I was doing them and all of a sudden I had this like crazy pain in my left testicle that felt like it was going to explode and I freaked out and uh you know it I went to the nearest sonic and I got a slushy in a bag and I just I just iced it but I was like I was worried because you know at that time really the only knowledge that I had about a testicle problem was Lance Armstrong had testicular cancer and had to have it removed. That was, that was the base of my knowledge that could go wrong with your balls. And, you know, I want to eventually have a family. Um, so I wanted to see about it because 
most dudes are more inclined to see about their junk. And I went, consulted with a urologist, um, you know, in, in those instances, given my age, they just wanted to rule out cancer to be safe. So I had to go through the ultrasound process and the sperm count process to make sure everything was normal. And that was two very interesting processes that probably prepared me to have an internal exam done looking back at it. Um, but it, it turned out being a varicocele, which is when there's a vein that kind of descends a little bit into the scrotum and it's very, it's usually pretty common in active males, my age, probably common because a lot of males, my age don't know how to brace that well and over, over pressurize themselves. So if you're working with an athlete, that's not specifically seeing you for pelvic floor issues, yeah. how do you take your knowledge now and maybe change how you treat them versus how you tr would treat them before you had all this knowledge? Or do you even consider it or like discuss it with them? Yeah, I do. Um, I would say I always, in, in all of my thought processes with how I deal with patients, I always go for the low hanging fruit first because it's usually that and I start general and go specific. Um, so, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my patients with low back or groin pain, I, I go through the hip and low back exam first. Um, and then if none of that's responding, well, during that exam, I'll typically ask them more questions. I would say that I, I'm way more comfortable asking questions about um, their sex life, if they're having any issues with that, if they're having any issues with uh, pooping or peeing, and it just being natural when I know a lot of my colleagues don't, that doesn't even come to their mind, right? And if, if they say that there's anything wrong with those things, I typically kind of just table it and we come back to it. Um, and it kind of informs it. It informs the process a little bit later down the line. Um, unless I haven't had anybody say that it's a pressing issue yet for, for an issue that they've come to see me for something else with. Um, but if it was, then it would be just like anything else. If I, if I have a CrossFitter who has knee pain and shoulder pain at the same time, I'm going to bounce back and forth between those things. It would be a lot of that. It would be shoulder pain and pelvic floor. That's, that's what I could offer you. So I think that's offering quite a bit. I know. <laughs> Never really I mean, think about it in that context, but that's, that's there. Yeah. So do you, Will, did you get interested in this, the cause of prostate cancer and testicular cancer and screening for it because of your own personal experience? Or do you have any other experiences that led you to this interest? Um, it was a big part of it was my personal experience. Um, at the time when I was in college, my girlfriend's dad had prostate cancer and he was going through the radiation process. So I was aware of it. Um, but the thing, the thing about Movember, it, it kind of just started in my gym. There was a group of guys that wanted to grow stashes as an excuse for their wives to not like them over that month, even though I think stashes are fantastic. Um, 
but I didn't really know. I kind of just stumbled upon it and that's kind of, and then it was just a process of events that I'm not sure if they were supposed to have, I guess they're supposed to happen or I wouldn't be on this podcast. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a mixture. It was a mixture of my own process and then getting into the pelvic floor PT world and realizing that a lot of men, you know, suffer in silence with other pelvic floor issues. And then if they end up having a prostate cancer problem, you know, the big thing right now that I'm working on with, with my patients are um, getting their urinary incontinence or peeing on themselves back under control and then getting them on the right track to being able to return to having sex with their partner. And the more older men that I've been exposed to in the sense of they've had prostatectomies never get back to having sex. I had, I, I sat in on a treatment with a male who had a prostate removal 16 years ago and he'd never gotten an erection since. And I was like, what? Did he have a perk? <clears throat> Uh, I can't remember, but he had, at the time he had never even known yeah. that it was a possibility. And he was having, whenever we saw him, both urinary and fecal incontinence, yeah. having trouble pooping and peeing and controlling that. So if you're not, if you're not able to control that, you're not going to be able to have sex. Like it's just not even going to be on the, on the menu. Did anyone have a conversation about, other options like penis pumps um jenny if you have any others that are on the top of your mind but the penis pump is on my top the top of my mind with that particular patient yeah i don't think so because there are different options it's just sometimes unfortunately there's too much damage to the the nerves in that region that the prognosis is poor and I think what we need to empower our patients is going through like all, making sure they understand the expectations of the surgery. And that's where I think a lot, I mean, I've treated men that English is their second language. So it was challenging. Um, it's challenging to get an informed consent in that case. Yeah. But I mean, they're gonna choose the surgery, life or death, right? So they, they're not quite understanding how much pre-function, how much cancer is there and how much surgery is happening and right. impacts their prognosis. And then if they don't have the ability to have an erection or full continence, what are the second, third available options because there right. are other options out there. Yeah, I, you know, in my in my own studies, I realized that an important thing to consider is that you know a lot of urologists say life will kill you before prostate cancer, in the sense of you know it's a natural part of life as a male to have a prostate that enlarges as you age. What is the other thing that grows as you use your nose? Doesn't your nose never your stop? Ears, you. Your ears. 
You didn't know that? Yeah, I think it's like your nose and your ears and then your eyes are the same size ever since you were a baby. Is that it? That's I don't know. Weird. Trivia night, next time you go, Jocelyn, you'll thank me whenever that comes oh up. Anyway. So if people wanted to, to donate money, Doc Mills, to your to the Kettlebell Challenge, yeah. uh, tell us how they can do that. And then if people want to follow uh, more of your work and your journey, tell us all of your social media handles and how we can find you. Yeah, so our team and this oh i didn't i didn't mention this in the in the pt school part i we had learned about but didn't perform in in my musculoskeletal class um a cossacks mode and i was trying to think of something witty i was like dpt november team dpt team doing prostate things and the picture is like a drawing of a, of a Cossack's mob. <laughs> um, so our team name is team doing prostate things. Um, I don't know what the link is. I think you could search it or we could just drop the link in the comments. Yeah. Um, the link is but, in, in Will's Instagram profile. Oh yeah, 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 it is. Um, so the link is there. We're trying to raise $10,000 still swinging away, chipping away at it. Um, and my social media channels on Instagram, it's docmills.dpt. And then on Facebook, it is Dr. William Mills PTDPT. Or you could just type in at doc. It's the same thing. Like the little handle thing is the same. Awesome. Well, Doc Mills, we really appreciate you coming on. We're going to try to be respectful of your time here. But yeah. uh, would you maybe consider coming back on the show in the future to kind of update us on the happenings of your life and what's yeah. going on? Absolutely. I would love that. Thank you so much, Will. It was awesome getting to spend a second night on Zoom with you. <laughs> yeah, we still need to figure out the rest of our content. <laughs> Well, we were, I've got some ideas. Perfect. All right. Have a great yeah. social night. Thanks for having me guys. Gals. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you'd like to donate to team doing prostate things, head to at docmills.dpt on Instagram, or you can look up our team on www.movember.com, and there you can donate directly. If you want to learn more about Doc Mills, give him a follow on Instagram at docmills.dpt, or follow him on Facebook at Dr. William Mills DPT. Next week, we will be talking to Marla Sasko, labor and delivery nurse in Western Pennsylvania. So super excited to share that interview with you guys and we will see you then.